everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casola, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy Clemson week. Happy uh, Friday game week, which has become uh, something of a treat for us Syracuse fans. Whether or not you like them, they seem to work out pretty well a lot of the time. Let's see what else we got. I think we're officially in pumpkin pumpkin beer season. I've, I've been drinking a lot of it, so we'll get to that <laughs> later. Um, maybe more on Friday. Uh, it could go either way, maybe more no matter what. Happy um, almost. Yes, yes, yes. Happy uh, media days, week days. Happy, uh, what else we got? Almost, almost basketball season. I mean, NBA starts like in a week, which is crazy. Yeah, NBA starts in like a week. NHL already started, but we don't really talk about that on here because Dan's in for the hockey fan. Um, yes, you have to find Kevin for that. <laughs> But yeah, why don't we? Uh, yeah, why don't we jump in first with some uh, the media days stuff uh, before we kind of redirect to football. Uh, I know that they had um, men's media day on Tuesday. Women's was today. For men's, nothing necessarily shocking. Uh, really, for the most part, you know, Beheim was asked about the zone, Buddy Beheim, NIL. Um, a- anything necessarily stand out to you um, after uh, after comments from Coach as well as uh, Buddy and uh, Barama Sadibe? No, nothing too crazy. I think like maybe you know the one question we've really had going into the season is whether it's going to be Benny Williams in the starting lineup or, or uh, if Jimmy's going to get that role. Um, Bayheim seemed to he didn't say it, but he seemed to indicate that Benny is probably going to have to work his way up. Um, which is always interesting because, like, you know, we actually tend to, I think, favor the five stars in these situations where we, like, at least give them the starting job. Um, and then, you know, whether they get pulled after three minutes or they, you know, play the whole half is kind of up to how they are performing. Um, but there doesn't seem to be any guarantee here, which, like, I get in one point, um, you know, I think the best player should play. And if he's not, like, one of the best starting five at the time, like, that's fine. It's also just, like, a bit different than what we're used to. And also, like, you know, obviously there are always going to be questions about favorability when, when Coach now has two of his sons in the team. Obviously, Buddy is kind of beyond reproach at this point, um, you know, even for his faults. Like, it's hard to imagine Syracuse have a, a good Syracuse lineup without him in it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I tend to think this thing will work itself out. Like, I don't think Beheim's going to put the team in jeopardy because of that. And, and obviously that's just, like, kind of speculation. But – um, it was interesting because we, we talked last week, I think it was, where, like, Benny's getting so little discussion um, relative to, like, what the normal preseason five-star freshman gets. Um, and maybe that worked out to our advantage because we've had, like, years where they've really kind of, like, disappointed, for lack of a better word, early on. But, uh, you know, we're kind of coming in with, like, coming under the radar of anything else. Yeah, I agree there. I think that there's some concern that we're not hearing about Benny, but the way Beheim talks about this team, you never really know what's true and what isn't. And, and you know, it doesn't say he's like intentionally lying. I think it's just more, Beheim has a way of hyping the team up or down uh, or talking about the squad and, or certain players in certain ways. And, and you know, it, it just seems like that's not intersecting with, with Benny Williams at this juncture. Uh, I would, I still would like to see him start, uh, if only because I think the, that without him at the four, you're looking at either um, you know, Jimmy or, or Cole Swider, and I don't necessarily think it's not that either player is, is, is a bad option for SU, but I think it's it, it's a very one-dimensional look in terms of like outside shooting, not a ton of like traditional size 
um, on the inside. And, and I think that ultimately that could put the Orange at a bit of a disadvantage against you know some bigger teams and bigger teams, especially in the ACC. At the same time, though, like if it doesn't really matter who starts, if Benny's still going to end up getting you know 25, 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, we saw like I guess like the one, it, you know, it's pretty obvious example of the opposite of like the five star getting the the immediate nod was like Deion Waiters, who didn't start at all basically at Syracuse, came off the bench, ended up being a top five pick. So it doesn't ultimately matter that much. Um, the, you know, we know Bayham's going to put his trusted five out there at the end. Um, hopefully Benny's a part of that. Um, I only say that because like hopefully Benny is you know, who we all think he can be, which means, you know, our team has like a legit NBA talent on the roster, which is something we've been lacking, um, at least in like a major way recently. So, yeah, I'm not going to concern myself too much until we actually see the team, because like there's also an argument to be made for like bringing someone like that off the bench to really trigger the offense, especially if things start a little slow, which has been a concern over the last couple of years. Um, I will say with the size thing, though, Beheim kind of seems pretty bullish on the center position, which is not always the case. Um, obviously, Jesse has had a fair amount of hype coming into the season. Barama was their media days. Um, and we know at, at the very least, he can be like a really reliable, if healthy, um, option there for, you know, solid rebounding and a little bit of scoring. And then even Frank has gotten a little bit of a of hype coming into the year. So um, it seems like Beheim, uh hopefully will not, we're not going to the small ball more than we need to for once. Like, I, I appreciate like the high scoring small ball lineup. So we're doing, a, we've been doing small ball just because that's just all we had. Um, and that's not great. Uh, so I don't know. It sounds like at this point, he's pretty, um, he, he's aware that, or he seems to think that we'll have three playable centers, which um, for all of Beheim's preseason hype, uh, hype, you know, giving over the last couple of years, I don't think he's really done it with like the center position. Um, he's pretty gung ho about like, these are the lineups that are best to, you know, our best chance to win. And, the centers have not always been a part of that. So hopefully that's, that's a different thing this year. And we can actually give like a bunch of different looks and small balls, like a, a curveball rather than just like the only pitch we have. Yeah, I, I definitely agree there. I, I think having several uh, centers ready to go would be great. Uh, you know, obviously miss Marek a lot. And I think we're going to see, you know, some of the intangibles maybe that she lacks without him early on. I, I'd say in general for me, I'm fine with, whatever line is most effective, obviously, but I, I just, what, what I hope doesn't happen is I think there's, there's going to be a decent amount of fans who get very worried very quickly here is if you see, if you see Benny slow to get integrated while, you know, the, 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 the I guess, you know, three Beheim brothers, um, as it were, are, are, are all playing 30 plus minutes. <laughs> That's I think when, when, this fan base, maybe rightly or wrongly, get will start freaking out very quickly about about what this season's going to turn into. And I, I, for what it's worth, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope we end up with a balanced lineup. I hope we see a lot of different looks. I think we have the roster to give a lot of different looks. And really, I, I, I think um, based on who's on the roster, it just we might need to see a lot of different looks early on um, because of the caliber of opponents, and also just because of the you know uncertainty on defense in particular. And, and really, the more reps and the more time. Um, in game, the, the more likely this team's going to be able to gel a bit on that end. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to get that like early season. You know, you win the games pretty comfortably most of the time. You get to like try out a bunch of lineups. I feel like we haven't been afforded that as much, whether because of depth issues or because of like just early season the team hasn't looked very good um, over the last couple uh, last couple of years. Um, and obviously, like basketball, you have way more leeway than football, and like you can take a loss or two early. But um, you know, we all those of us who uh, came up in a, a time when Syracuse really didn't lose in the uh, early season, 
Um, it'd be nice to go back to that. We're like, oh, yeah, we're going to win all the games. But, like, you know, maybe there's a test here and there. Uh, we beat some good teams. And also we get to see, like, a multitude of lineups. Because it feels like last year we were still, like, experimenting down the road. We were running lineups out there in the tournament that we weren't really playing very much. And obviously, it, like, worked to an extent. But it'd be nice to have, like, a pretty full understanding of what we can throw out there by February rather than, like, still trying to figure out as we get to the tournament. Yeah, I'd love to see that, and I think it's going to be interesting if we can see that, given the fact that there's like three core, three, four really core rotation players coming in uh, here for for SU, and and you know three of them are guys who are coming in with um, you know previous college experience and, and habits and things like that. So we'll see what happens here with them. I, I know on Wednesday the women's teams uh, were at media day, and you know, as you probably smartly, like, didn't want to bring, like, you know, uh, Priscilla Williams uh, was, was not, did not join the team um, at, at Media Days. And they kind of, you know, brought in transfers and made sure that, like, it was all kind of uh, sunshine and rainbows. But um, I'm not surprised that there wasn't much said. I'm also, I'm still very, very, like, I wouldn't say I'm optimistic about this season just because of everything that's happened this offseason for the women's program. But at the same time, like, I I'm very intrigued uh, by by what we could see on the court for for, for the squad. Yeah, I mean it's hard. It, it's very rare that you get like a true, complete hard reset of a program the way that the Syracuse women's program uh, has had this off season. And I don't know that many of us would argue it's for the better. I mean, it's better for the better on like a, an off court means, obviously, given what went on. But in terms of like the the basketball part of it, um, it's gonna be pretty jarring. I mean, we've kind of had a pretty solid identity, even if like there wasn't always the consistency that we were hoping for, or we didn't always have the deep tournament runs, like kind of knew what you were getting from a Q squad. Uh, and you kind of knew, and obviously we had like, you know, uh, enough consistency until this past year with the, the players in it. Um, and like the types of players that we had. Uh, and now like we're entering like the true unknown. And hopefully we talked about it at length after the Q after, like hopefully this isn't a hard reset to then go back to like, the, the the doldrums of the pre Quentin Hillsman era, but um, you know, with any kind of large scale change, I think there is some excitement, some opportunity. Uh, so you know, hopefully, this is just like the start of a a really positive era because obviously this last one, which had some hugely bright moments and was probably the most successful in Syracuse women's basketball history by a decent margin, um, obviously ended so sour. Uh, so you know, uh, as we said last time, we just hope that the, the women the women's team isn't just sold down the river because like the one time things were going super well for the program, it, it, it ended the way it did. Like, hopefully there's still significant investment and significant attention paid and, and we continue to kind of build on the things that were working um, under two for all of like the, the horrible things that happened that ended up derailing it. I would agree. Dan, I guess I know we're going to head to halftime at some point, but first I did want to talk, unfortunately, perhaps about the Wake Forest game a little bit. Um, I, I know we probably don't want to relive um, this game or the one before it uh, for, for obvious reasons. SU loses once again uh, by three points, this time in overtime on a touchdown uh, by the Demon Deacons. Just, you know, and unfortunately, a, a pass that was put in, in, in where it needed to be um, in, 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 in the right spot and all that. Um, and, you know, SU falls 40 to 37. This game was interesting though and, and I think that like like this was definitely dumb game territory this was definitely like an interesting game that reminded me of like the Marone era to some extent but 
there were things here that really worked. I thought that uh, the second half, like there, I thought that this SU offense like had some sort of identity, even if it was still like a bit of a like by the seat of their pants. Let's just see what Schrader does and then run Tucker into the ground. Uh, but I think SU is getting closer to an offensive identity here, and I think that bodes well for the rest of the season. The problem is the rest of the season is significantly tougher than what we've seen to date. Yeah, I think that's all spot on. It, it's it's just like such a weird Syracuse, and all the Syracuse seasons are weird. Like there, there's no non-weird Syracuse season that doesn't exist. This is such a uh, unique one because every week we're in these games. So like Wake Forest, I think we both acknowledge like one of the best teams in the ACC. They can they could win the Atlantic. They're they may be the favorite. Um, Obviously, Clemson's hard to overcome, like, the name and just, like, all the history there, all the recent history. But, like, Wake's is rock solid. They they play the way we expected them to play coming into the game. And we were right there. We very well should have won it, I think. A lot of the win expectancy stuff that we should have won it. Um, so, it's hard to, like, hey, you don't want to, like, just focus on the bad calls, um, which we're, you know, which we've had so much disgust over. Like, Favors made one decision that I think was questionable at best. And they made one decision that was, like, really poor uh, later in the game that just was the, the lack of aggression for a coach who, you know, purports to have, like, a pretty aggressive uh, mindset overall is really disappointing. Um, but he seems to have gotten this team somewhere. He seems to have closed the talent gap a decent amount with some of these other teams. Obviously, Wake is not really the best example of that. But um, just in general, like, it seems like the talent gap is less of an issue. We have really good players on both sides of the ball. Um, he does seem I, – I agree. I think the Schrader offense has come a pretty decently far away since that Liberty game even. Um, he's getting a little better as a passer. It's probably not where it needs to be yet. But he's so dangerous as a, as a runner, and we're really starting to open things up there. I think the offensive line's played well, which helps. Um, and I do think there's something there, and I'm totally fine with, like, if we're just going to go all in on this, let's do it. Um, but at the same time, there are concerns because, like, when you don't have a real downfield threat, uh, which Schrader really hasn't shown still through three – games of a ton of playing time um it's really hard to to guess like what Syracuse could do if they actually got down by like two touchdowns instead of jumped out on a team um and then like I don't know how sustainable it is to run I mean we Tucker for as good as he's been he's you know he had injuries last year he's been banged up a couple times this year it hasn't crossed much but like you wonder um how much we can afford to uh to keep on riding those two guys the way we have I mean even in this last game like Tucker was out um, after he, uh, I forget exactly what happened, but he came out of the game for like a player two, and that's when Trooper Lux uh, basically fumbled the ball right into a guy's hand. So, like, obviously, you don't want to put pin it all on Trooper. He was good last year and doesn't have a role in this offense. But, like, if Tucker's available for that play, if he's not uh, kind of gassed or whatever the case was, like, did that play end up differently? Do they win the game because they convert a first down there? So, it's, it's tough. Like, you don't want to take away like the big picture stuff because I think. Honestly, big picture things are going a lot better than they have in the last couple of years. But when you end up shooting all that in the foot because of really unfortunate calls, and then there are these still these other big picture questions that haven't really come to a head yet because we're still pretty early in the season, um, it's really hard to have a, a great handle on it. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think ultimately, like you said, the talent gap's closed uh, considerably. Uh, for, for SU, you're looking at you know at least two all-conference players um, you know, on the roster right now in, in Sean Tucker on, on offense and Mikel Jones on defense. And you could definitely make a case. Um, et cetera. I, I think 
the the issue has been like coaching hasn't been up to snuff um for full games and i think you know play calling while i'll i will say that they found better ways to adapt to schrader's skill set than they have ever to devito's um at the same time there's still a lot of and this is what you saw in 2018 too which is that dungy was such a singular talent um that he was able to get past it was that a, a lot of the time it was just you know like kind of an effort playbook and like a very rough sketch of what's going to happen of like you know, trader, snap the ball, roll left, roll right, and then it's a read option from there. Like, I don't know if that's – I mean, we'll, we'll see on Friday. Like, I don't know if that's going to work against the defense like Clemson's. And Cle- I know Clemson's banged up a bit, and we'll talk about them in the second half of the pod. But, like, I, I'm very curious to see if, if this offense, which is more of a, like, you know, let's just see what works uh, type deal, uh, plays against a team like that. Um, I know you brought up, you know, Lutz coming in too for, for Tucker. I, I do think that we need more carries for Lutz, not because I want Tucker to see the ball less, but because, well, I don't want to run Tucker into the ground and he's played so well to this point, but at this, but we're also looking at, you know, 25 to 30 touches a game for him now. Um, plus, plus uh, you know, pass blocking um, that he's asked to do as well. I, I would say that it'd be good to have, not the hot hand setup that we've had in past years, which has led to backs just splitting a lot of carries and nobody really getting into rhythm, but at least, you know, finding a, a series of downs or, or maybe even it's just, you know, three straight plays where like Lutz or, or Abdul Adams is able to come in. Cause I do feel like, you know, we see Abdul Adams like play well one week and then he's not out there the next week. I see Cooper Lutz do a couple interesting things one week and then he's not out there the next week. Like it would be good to just, get some variety in there, not because Tucker is ineffective. He's incredibly effective, but because I don't want to see like ill effects of being uh, the centerpiece of this offense, you know, by the end of the year, if we're still fighting it out for a ball bid. Yeah. I think that's, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot. Like even before the season, we realized we, you know, we knew Sean Tucker would be a big part of this offense. We didn't realize he was going to be like fringe Heisman talk part of the offense and like getting a hundred yards on bad weeks, which is something that we're not accustomed to with anyone. Um, but I think, yeah, Adams is obviously out this last game, which which I think played a part. I think he probably would have been the guy in there instead of, instead of Lutz. His Lutz is a little bit more of the third down back type. But in general, I think either one of those guys is picking up a bigger share of the carries on, like, the more low leverage situation, which is tough to define for Syracuse because it seems like every drive is so important every game. Um, but if we can start to, like, find those, we're like, you know, it's a second and two. And even if you're going to run the read option with, with uh, Schrader, like, there's no reason why Adams or, or Lutz can't pick up two yards if he has like a pretty if it's a good read and and they, they make the right decision. Um, but just taking those hits off of Tucker, I think is important. But it is tough to, to take him out because like even you can't like just just take Lutz as the third down back because Tucker's a great pass catcher and he's a great outlet there and he might be the best pass blocker of the three. So it's 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 really tough. Like it's it's not an easy situation for Babers and I think you do have to kind of pick your spots and and get a little lucky with it, but it isn't sustainable to run Tucker 25 times a game. I, I just don't think you can – I think you have to save that for the games you really need it, and uh, it's tough to it's tough to differentiate those games at this point in the season um, because every game is so important, but uh, you also can't afford to run them to the ground, um, which I think we're at a little bit of risk of doing. Yeah, I mean, it's not getting to, like, you know, Andre Williams, like, level and, like, you know, BC, Picadazio, like, let's just run this guy 40 times a game level, but – it's pretty close from and like between him and Schrader. Um, you know, th- there is a price to pay for for running the ball this much. Really, with two guys, usually teams that run this heavily and this often, you know, have a have 
either an option approach or a running quarterback plus two to three backs um, getting the ball consistently. So a concern. At the same time for Tucker, though, um, the heavy usage and just his dominance. I mean, really, he took over the second half of that game at, at one point and, and really kept SU alive and, and, and even scored the you know game-time touchdown um, on, on a phenomenal you know catch and run um, there that I didn't think was going to happen. I, uh, I think that the, I don't know how anyone could still doubt. I see there are still doubters could still doubt the fact that he deserves 44. And I, I really do hope we see it unveiled on Friday. And I think, I think it's a distinct possibility, even if like we haven't heard any confirmation of that at the same time, if we, if it happens on Friday and we don't make an announcement about it beforehand, I think it's also like incredibly silly. Yeah, I think there's like an argument for the really dramatic unveiling at the Dome. But also, like you're in the social media age, you kind of need to like sell this stuff. Um, I do think it's a possibility. I mean, Nate, Nate Mink gave like a real, a real like tongue out, uh, wink, winky face emoji type tweet about, about it. So I don't know if he's heard something um, or if he's just like reading the tea leaves. But uh, reading the tea leaves has been tough for the 44 debate because like it, it comes in and out of our lives every so often. Um, but it does seem like there's more momentum, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, like more momentum now than there has been any time I can remember. And uh, certainly no more deserving player than Tucker. Um, and he's, he's stumped for it to an extent. Babers has certainly not shot it down. If anything, he's promoted. He's kind of propped it up. And I think it, he's not, if not outwardly acknowledged, made it pretty clear that if he had his choice, Tucker would get it. So um, there's a lot of indicators. And it would be awesome. It would be an incredible moment. Um, I hope it happens. Uh, so I guess we'll see. I said there's, you know, no better time than Clemson, a, a really susceptible Clemson on a Friday night. Like, this is like the, the type of thing that we have been looking for for a long time. So, um, you know, if they got a win over that team, even that team being down compared to where it usually is, uh, and they had unveiled 44 for the first time in, in decades, like that's kind of a recipe for like perfect special moment if everything goes well. And obviously it's hard to predict that, but I would love to see it. So hopefully, fingers crossed. I mean, really, even if they don't win the game, if, if, if they're competitive and Tucker – you know, it's 21 carries for 120 yards. Like, really, what's the harm? Like, like ultimately, Tucker still had a great game. He probably was one of the main reasons why they were still in it. Uh, you can use this. You can use, you know, that moment. You package up the video. You use the ESPN footage, everything. And you turn that into a recruiting package for other top running backs to be going after this cycle and future cycles and say, like, this could be you. And you finally get to show how 44 and, and the hype around it and the love that you get from the community and the SU fan base is like attainable. And, and ultimately like, yeah, I mean, I think that there should be a hype cycle going into it. And then the unveiling is like the moment that you get to see it at the same time. I think the surprise quote unquote unveil um, could have some, some benefit as well. I'm sure if they are planning something um, win or lose, uh, it, it probably plays a part in, you know, that night sports center package and, and the next day's game day package and all that. And that's all good, but I think you can still do that with the hype in beforehand. In any case, it seems like a no brainer to do it at this point. He's clearly, I mean, even if he doesn't hit all these records, I know I did an article um, on Tuesday, he's like on pace to set, to reset most of SU's rushing records. Um, at this point, some of the all purpose yard records too, um, if he can keep it up. I, I I just think that you can't ask any more of a player uh, at, at this point to to don forty four than what he's done. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he kind of checked every box. Like, he's he's becoming, like, a beloved personality just for his, like, almost, like, hilarious humbleness um, and the tweets that we always talk about, like, and, and then just the production's incredible. Like, it's not like he's a, you know, every couple of weeks guy where we've had, like, plenty of running backs who have been really good every couple of weeks. He's good every single week. Even his bad games are really, really good. Like, it's it's exactly the kind of guy we've been looking for uh, to unveil this. So, hopefully, fingers crossed, they figure it out, they do it right. They don't botch the unveiling, which is always a concern with these things, but I will hold that hope. <laughs> Looking forward to the uh, TCUK uh, RE jersey. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, it's going to be like, it's, it's going to be like a big dramatic announcement. The dome with the PA won't sound good, so no one will know what's happening. Or just, or somebody made it 45. <laughs> oh, no. Or it's, it's like they switched the K and the C on the back of the jersey. Like, come on, everyone, let's, let's look over everything twice this week if we're doing this. Wild hack, you need to be in all these conversations. Like, let's, we're not messing this one up. <laughs> all right, Dan, uh, on that note, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, beer here at halftime. So uh, what have you been drinking? Um, I've had a pretty active week. Let me get my, my uh, untapped open here. Um, so uh, a couple of different uh, things from the New York area. Um, had a, a two-to-look. Uh, one to see uh, Farmhouse Cezanne from Alewife earlier in the week, which is very solid. Um, had a General Goza from Stillwater here in the city, which is good. Um, from uh, upstate, uh, Hermit Thrush's pe- pe- uh, Party pe- Jam Peach, which is a peach sour, was really, really delicious. Um, really nice, balanced, super drinkable. Um, had a Yes Farms, Yes Beer IPA uh, from Industrial Arts, which was really good. Um, a Sunup IPA from Talia that was like great uh i had heard a lot about them but i hadn't had any beer from them before i think they're the first and only completely women-owned brewery in the city um and it was really good one of the better ipas i've had in a while uh, and then a bug hug uh sour from kcbc which is great so a lot of good new york beers this week and also some pumpkin because you know can never have enough pumpkin very nice uh not a lot of variety on this end uh i'll be at modern times uh over the weekend so i'll have some Better stuff to share next week, but it did have for Modern Times uh, Max IPA Mosaic, uh, just a really good um, you know single hop IPA uh, with Mosaic, which is really really delicious West Coast style of course. And then Smog City had a uh, Cuddlebug, their uh, apricot sour that I've mentioned quite a few times over the years. Um, but I had a, a bottle I'd forgotten about in the fridge, so popped that open, but kept it pretty low key uh, this past weekend as a as kind of a preview for this coming weekend when I will not be keeping it low-key. No, I'm at another wedding this week that's some in New England, so I will be, uh, I think we're going to have some treehouse in the in the, the mix here. I think the actual reception is at a Rhode Island uh, Brewery Guild, so I think I'll have a lot of good stuff next week to talk about. Props. Yes, very excited. I'm very jealous. Uh, all right, Dan. Next up is Clemson, as we've alluded to uh, quite a few times here already. I guess to start, you know, this Clemson team is, is not the Clemson teams that we've seen in recent years. Uh, obviously, we haven't had needed Clemson to be, like, down, quote-unquote, uh, for Syracuse to give them a test. Even last year, like, they kind of – SU just bothered Clemson for, for a while, despite being, like, very banged up, having Rex Culpepper at quarterback. It didn't seem to matter. They were able to test uh, Clemson for a bit. You know, in, in general, Syracuse, since – you know, 2017 has really been able to um, get under Clemson's skin long enough. And, and I think, you know, it kind of fuels the, the internet rivalry and everything else uh, between the fan bases. But 
looking at this initially, seeing a Clemson team that can't really move the ball well on offense and has some injuries on defense, um, without giving like an actual prediction here, how likely do you think it is that Syracuse can score an upset on Friday night? Oh, uh, I'm pretty bullish, honestly. Like I, I'm not. Uh, I've I've really gone back and forth picking it. Uh, I'll we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, the Clemson team's just not very good. Like their defense is very good. Their defense is one of the best in the country. They do not put much scoring. The problem is the offense has been so inept that it doesn't matter. They're in these like rock fights every week, and like. You know, if another team, you, you, if you're Clemson, you should not be at risk of fall, falling when you give up two touchdowns. Uh, like, and that's like a bad week for your defense. And that's just been the case this year. Like, they cannot, uh, th- there's no guarantees for them on offense, which there has been for so long. Um, especially with like some of the talent they brought, they brought back. DJ Uyandale uh, has looked really good last year and has just been really, really mediocre um, to the point where like there have been open questions whether he should hold on to that job. He's completing less than 55% of his passes, the 5.7 yards per attempt. He only has three touchdowns on the year and three interceptions. Um, he's uh, The running game has been, like, decent, but not nearly enough to overcome, like, a really stagnant passing attack, even though they have a, a really nice pair of receivers in Joseph Nada and Justin Ross. So it's like, I'm still afraid of those guys, especially. But And the offensive line has just been dreadful, which we can relate to. Well, it's so dreadful, but the line also isn't giving up like the line is allowing pressure, but it's not necessarily giving up like a ton of sacks or tackles for loss. Yeah, it's like one of those things where there's just like a lot of disruption. Um, DJ is really good at getting the ball out, and he's really good at not getting sacked because he's huge. He's just a he's a monster of a quarterback. Um, so I guess he deserves a lot of credit there. They've only I think they've given up ten sacks um, from a little earlier. Uh, so yeah, it hasn't been like one of those problems. It's just. There's never a lot of running room, and he constantly has someone in his face. And, and as we know from the Syracuse defense, like they will, even if they don't put up huge sack numbers, uh, which they do sometimes, like Cody Ross has been awesome these last couple of weeks. And then you have Marlo Wax and everyone else um, doing, you know, applying a lot of pressure. But like they will get in your face a lot. And that's been an issue for him. And even if he's not throwing like a ton of uh, interceptions either, it's just like they're just constantly getting disrupted and getting thrown out of rhythm. Um, and the, run, the rushing attack hasn't been good enough to kind of keep them from getting into comfortable down distance. So, yeah, it's, it's just been a really rocky, really strange thing to watch from Clemson, which has always been, or at least for probably the last 12 years or so, has been so consistently explosive. And again, those like receivers are really good. So they scare me. They will always scare me, especially, you know, we've had some weeks where our cornerbacks haven't looked quite as, uh, as perfect as they have at other times. Um, not to like take anything away from their overall performance, but I do think like, you know, there, there are going to be weeks where they're not going to be just completely locked down as we've been talking about to uh, in, in some years past with like Iffy and others. Um, but if we can get after DJ and get in his face and, and just force him to throw off balance, like there's certainly a chance that we just have a rock fight here and it's, it's first team to like 17 wins. Yeah, I can very much see that. And really like that was kind of like the, even though the scores a little bit higher than that, you know, the 2017, 2018 games, they were very much like, Rock fight type games, even like the 2015 game that was uh, what 16 6. Uh, was that 2014? The AJ Long game, yeah, it, it, it might have been 2014. Uh, one of those games was the 16 6 game that was also a rock fight. And like, really, the for as much as SU's offense was a lot better in recent weeks and is scoring more points, I do think that the lower scoring this game is, the more likely it is that Syracuse comes away with a win. Um, because it does mean that that SU was able to probably cut down on turnovers, and really, it hasn't. They've, they've had pretty good ball security this year. Uh, Schrader, for the most part, like has avoided um, trying to force too much. 
but also, you know, you're just not going to turn the ball over as much if you're running as much as Syracuse is, uh, which is great. I think SU, for the most part, on the defensive backside, like, they haven't necessarily forced turnovers in the same way they have in previous years, but I think they've potentially covered better as a, as a secondary. Uh, so, so that's good. I, I think really what Clemson probably does here early is mimic some of what worked for Wake Forest, you know, late first quarter, early second quarter, which is you just kind of screen us to death. And, and there's better, um, you know, I, I'd say there's better speed and, and, and just better receivers um, for Clemson and that can really take advantage of that. Because if, if the Tigers can get Syracuse to get closer to the line of scrimmage and, and have defensive backs play closer and, and, and guard against screens, then, you know, you open up th- those, you know, man-to-man opportunities down the field. And that's really where, like, Wake Forest killed SU last week. Um, and, and Florida State had some success there too, is just, you know, trying to drag SU secondary close to the line of scrimmage that you can open up. Because while they're better in man than they are in zone and have been for the last couple of years, uh, you definitely saw there were that some of the injuries in the secondary have taken a toll and, and have resulted in some some gaps here and there. Yeah, I think that's that's very fair. Like, I, well, if they can get like a, if they can start to exploit those talent advantages that they still have on the outside, like that's going to be a major issue, I guess, like the one consolation um, is that they have a talent advantage that receiver over cornerback, like pretty much every week. And it's been a struggle. Like they have not found very easy ways to get uh, their big receivers ball in space um, for one reason or another. So, you know, we'll see if, if the extra week, which I think is honestly like maybe my biggest concern is that we've given this, we've given them anything. It's just the way the schedule shook out. Uh, Flumps another by last week. So they will have had uh, a lot of time to prepare for this game. Um, and it kind of negates like the the shortened time uh, advantage that we might have gotten for a Friday game over a Saturday. Um, so we'll see. Not that I think that Clemson would have overlooked us otherwise, because as we know, like they've uh, we've given them fits over the years, even with our worst teams. So yeah, it's it's certainly going to be fascinating. Um, there are reasons to be scared of Clemson as always, but uh, it's it's just less obvious this year considering how things have gone so far. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they flip the switch on the bye week and all of a sudden it looks like what we expected from them this year for the rest of the season. Yeah, I totally agree there. And honestly, I think the extra rest for Clemson, uh, I think it's going to have a bigger advantage for their offense than their defense. So I think it, Syracuse's defense has is, is looked pretty similar week to week. Obviously, it's had more wrinkles this year than last year. It's looked better, um, I, I think, overall this year than last year. But it's looked consistently similar. Um, I'd argue it might, might even look a little bit worse um, in the last two weeks uh, overall than it did in, in the early goings. And maybe that's, you know, opponent adjusted. But on the offensive side, like for, for Syracuse, I don't think Clemson's defense can necessarily bank on anything looking the same from week to week right now other than handing Tucker the ball um, and, and, and Schrader getting, you know, rolling out of the pocket and, and, and running a, a decent amount. I think if Syracuse is able to implement, um, you know, something that looks a little bit different, and, and really the, this is what's been key for SU in, all the, in most of these games since Babers took over, is, is just getting Dabo to blink a bit. And, and, and you've seen it's, it's not easy to do. And, and I know I've been critical of, of Faber's coaching this year and the staff's coaching, well, offensive staff's coaching overall. But if you can do a couple things that they haven't seen and you can make Gatto blink a bit, I think that's where the advantage is going to come from, uh, you know, in, in, in this game and, and, it's, and where it's come from in recent years. And it's helped made up, make up for a talent gap. I think the talent gap is still there. 
but it might not be as steep as it's been, um, you know, for 2020 and 2019 um, necessarily. So I'm I'm curious to see if SU can just unveil a, a thing or two that they don't expect. Um, because really, like, while Clemson's defense is the strength, I think having having uncertainty about what the offense specifically looks like from week to week is ultimately going to help the orange here. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I do think there's like a little bit of the, I think we do start like kind of the edge of uh, the uncertainty because while Schrader has been in there for three weeks and there's a fair amount of tape on him now, it does seem like we take, we add another thing in every week. We, we continue to implement new wrinkles that have made this office a little bit more dynamic and it's kept teams from being able to see on all like the obvious read option stuff. So Hopefully that's the case. Um, I agree. I think like historically in these games, obviously we only have the one win, but like we've we've really punched them in the mouth a number of times, even in the Schaefer years. Like it seems like they always were, or at least in some facets, uh, especially Babers, um, have been willing to be more aggressive in this game. Uh, they've actually played with like the uh, the David strategies that we talk about a lot, um, rather than coaching uh, a little more conservatively or coaching a little more scared. Um, and that's obviously been the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things we've had with uh, issues we have with, we've had with Babers this year. And hopefully this game can kind of like bring that aggressive underdog mentality back out of him. Because like we're Syracuse, we're always going to have uh, probably a talent disadvantage against two thirds of the power five teams we play most years, like if not more. Um, I think we always have to have like a kind of a chip on our shoulder and, and a, 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 an underdog mentality in these games because like you're, you're, you're going to gain your advantage in like your wiliness and your, uh, your, preparation and just like coming to these counter punches and these left hooks and these other things that the team aren't expecting. So I'm kind of hoping the team, um, whatever happens, like I hope that it kind of energizes Babers and gets him out of this like weird rut where it seems, I don't know if it's like worse this year. I'd have to go back and like watch old games and I, I don't necessarily want to do that right now, but it seems like this year more than any other, when we've played teams pretty even, we're like way less willing to take risks. And I don't think that's appropriate. I think you need to just keep on doing what you're doing and, and and do the things that are going to give you like a mathematical edge in a lot of these a lot of these facets and a lot of these big spots and we've just been so unwilling to do them this year. So maybe this week with like Clemson, the big name coming in, Babers will will kind of dip back to what you know we saw from those first couple of years. Even when we weren't winning a lot of games, like we were a real problem for teams, Clemson included. And I think that was a big part of it. Yeah, I think ultimately against a team like Clemson, uh, even if Clemson's not what they have been in recent years, you still need to remain as aggressive as possible if you want to win that a win here. So, Dan, I guess to close us out here, uh, what is your prediction for this game? Um, I'm, I was so tempted to take Syracuse in this game. Um, I do think it's going to be very close. I think it's going to be low scoring. I'm going to take Clemson on a very narrow – I'll just I'll ride the, the three-point disappointment momentum here. I'm going to go Clemson 20-17. Uh, to 17. Yeah, I, I was kind of floating with something similar. I think I'm going to end up going like 20 20- – like something like 24 to 20, uh, something like that could work. I, I, I toyed with 26, 24 uh, as an additional option. But yeah, I think 24, 20, I think Vegas is, is, is probably playing this one wrong. And, and, and for my sake, I hope that that's true. <laughs> Were they given? Yeah. Points? I don't, I don't get the 14 point line. Like I feel like even with these losses, like we've, we've seen a little bit more national respect for Syracuse in recent weeks. Um, especially because, like, the Wake game, I think people actually realize Wake's pretty good. But the 14-point line seems crazy. I don't know. You know, maybe Vegas just hits it and it's a blowout. But um, I, I'm very tempted to take Syracuse. What was the total point line? I haven't actually looked at that yet. Well, I want to say it's like 46 and a half. At least I okay. might have been around. Yeah, so that's a bit closer to what we're talking about here. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty like fair. So I, I think ultimately it comes down to a mistake, and if SU can't run the ball late, uh, they could be forced to throw, and that could cause some issues. So we'll, we will see. I, uh, I'm optimistic it'll at least be a good game, and, and obviously I hope for a win. But, uh, Dan, anything else before we bounce today? Yeah, no, just uh, excited for the game. I think I, I definitely feel better about this game than I've ever felt in a Clemson game before, and that has a lot to do with them. But um, And I still feel like we're kind of in this, like, nebulous – where we're, like, approaching just, like, the numbers where we start to need to win these games to make a bold. But, uh, again, I'm not going to, like, take too much away from the given result here if we lose. It's just – I just really hope if we lose it's not because Babers decided that we weren't going to do something that was going to do a social role win, which has been the case the last two weeks. So. Um, I really want this one to be decided with, like, our best shot. Yeah, I agree there. I'd like to lose on the field. Uh, and, 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 yeah. and, and because we just couldn't get it done. Um, not because – And no option. rush in but that's not our problem, fault. So. <laughs> All right, Dan, well, appreciate it as always. And uh, hope you enjoy the game on Friday. Thank you. You too. Hopefully uh, everyone – hopefully we have something to cheer about next week. Uh, and not just the beers. Um, yeah, excited for it. Agreed. We'll have a win or lose. We'll have plenty on Friday night um, on the blog. Win in particular, though, we'll have plenty more. Uh, I, for those that remember 2017, it was a pretty fun evening um, on Syracuse and Twitter. So hopefully, hopefully more of that. Um, yes, I, I, I want to joy scroll a lot on Friday. <laughs> Agreed. Well, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Training Into an Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and Orange. Orange.